I'm Evan Mark Katz, dating coach for smart, strong, successful women and your personal trainer for love. Welcome to the Love You podcast, where you'll learn how to operate from a place of confidence and make better choices with men. When we're done, I'll let you know how you could apply to Love You to create a passionate relationship that makes you feel safe, heard, and understood. I'm super excited for today's episode. I think there'll be some interesting stuff amidst the tangents and stories that I have prepared for you today. But inside of that is something that's really, really important that you're probably going to want to like stop and write down on your phone because it has the potential to be life-changing if you stick with me for this podcast before we get into that. If you enjoy the Love You podcast, please go to Apple, leave us a positive review. Please go to Spotify, leave us a positive review. Um, write something. Don't just click on the five-star button, although that's really nice too. Uh, take a moment to say something nice. I hope I, I am worthy of you saying something nice. Uh, I do my best. Similarly, if you're on YouTube, click on the button to subscribe. I do apologize for the quality of the video. I haven't been able to get my, um, <laughs> my, my camera guy on the phone, so the lighting is all a little bit weird, but we will make the best of it nonetheless for those who are watching at home or on their phones. And at the end of the podcast, we'll talk a little bit about Love You and how you could apply. Now, today's topic is called What Trade-Offs Are You Willing to Make? And truly, that is about, that's the $64,000 question, isn't it? I mean, everybody who comes to me for dating coaching is asking the question. I, I, whatever I've been doing, I've been doing it wrong. I keep on choosing men who don't seem to have the capacity to make me happy. I bank on their potential. I wonder what I'm doing wrong. I wonder, are there any good men? These are the most common questions that uh, I, I get and I have been getting for 20 years. And so between all men are useless, which again is is not not true and not particularly constructive, and there's something wrong with me, I should just give up on men, there is an answer. And in Love You, we spent a lot of time, we spent six months trying to arrive at that answer. Every time I do one of these podcasts, I take some of the concepts from Love You and give you a hint of it so that you can figure out how to implement it in your real life. So I'm going to begin today with a, almost a silly story about the trade-offs we make in love because it's a microcosm of what one has to do to be in, in, a, in a happy marriage. And I, I do have a happy marriage that I think is worth sharing with you. My wife's family are the nicest people in the world. God, family, country, right? They're just good middle-class Americans and they'll do anything for their family and they're very self-sacrificial and they'll take our kids for a week so we can go on vacation. They'll always drive up to see the kids in the plays. And there's a lot of good grandparent behavior. Strange thing about my wife's family, strange doesn't seem to be the right word. The thing about my wife's family, which, uh, you know, again, I'm airing this publicly. It's, there's the possibility that they'll listen. I apologize if that's the case, is that for whatever reason, they don't seem to be curious about other people. Perfectly nice, not a bad bone in their body but you could be in their family for 15 years. I've now been married for 15 years. You could be married for 15 years and they don't know anything about me because they don't ask questions. Now, you've gone out with men who don't ask questions. I don't fully understand that. I don't know how you could get close to someone if you don't ask questions. I don't know how people could feel heard or seen if you don't ask questions. But if I picked up and left 
my wife's family over Christmas, if I just left the room for three days, no one would notice the difference because there's not really integrated conversation. And I no longer resent it like I did when I was first there. I just realized, oh, that's who these people are. They feel questions are prodding, personal. There's, there has to be some motivation as to why they don't inquire nor share very much personally about themselves. But I can't necessarily be my best self with someone who doesn't express any curious curiosity about me. So we're largely at a stalemate. And so it's sometimes challenging for me to spend time, um, a lot of time with my wife's family, just because I don't feel seen or valued or understood or, or, or loved, even though there's n- nothing actually wrong with them. They're not bad people. And so every year I go down and I'm usually grumble on the way home about the compromises I have to make. You know, my wife's ex-husband wouldn't even go down to spend time with her family. I never spoke to him about the reasons why, but he wouldn't even go down um, for whatever his reasons were. And it sounds like I'm throwing them under the bus. It, it's really hard to describe this phenomenon. And so there are people who would take this as a sign that there's something wrong, as a sign of, that you can't do this relationship, as a sign that I should just opt out of going to Christmas mass with my wife's family and spending three, four days every year with them down uh, at their home. And that would be really, really short-sighted if I did that because this is something that's really important to my wife. And the truth is, I'm sharing this with you, the best thing for me to do is shut the fuck up. That would be the best thing that I should do, is to smile and nod and get along. And I've gotten better at it over 15 years because I can't change my wife's family. My wife doesn't want to hear her family judged. I'm sharing this with you as my weakness to show you how very normal it is. And you say, do I put up with this? If my wife's dad was in the picture, who is now, he's got got dementia, but when we first got married, he was just a kind of raging, racist, sexist alcoholic. (laughs) Like like, that's unfortunately um, who he, he was. Would I be smart to opt out of that? No, it's her dad. He loves her the best he can. And I don't have to love every second of it to love my wife and realize this is a small percentage of our marriage and this has nothing to do with her and who we are together. Who we are together is bigger than the little things that I don't like. All right, that's one entry point into this. Another entry point is my mom. We're just talking about trade-offs. We're talking about people. We we make trade-offs in every aspect of life. Go on a tangent from my tangent. You make trade-offs at work. Maybe you are overworked and underpaid, but you find meaning in your work. Maybe you have a job that compensates you well, but you're not well, you don't find that you love your work. Maybe you have a long commute, but you love your coworkers. Maybe you work from home, but there's a glass ceiling and you're never going to ascend to uh, the status that you want. There's always trade-offs we make. There's trade-offs that we make at home. Oh, I got an apartment, but it doesn't have a third bedroom. Oh, I've got this place, but it's not in a good school district. Oh, I live in the hottest part of California, but I don't have a swimming pool like my neighbors. It's always trade-offs. The place we have the hardest time making trade-offs is in love. We need to understand what trade-offs we do and we do not make. I think of my mom who was with my dad for 30 years and they were kids. They were 21. 
My dad didn't have a college education. He was a hard worker. He came from Russian immigrant parents. He didn't have the chivalry gene or the sensitivity gene, but he was a good guy. He had a great sense of humor. He provided for his family. He loved his kids. My mom and dad had a really great connection before he died at age 53, which is pretty crazy because I'm 51. They had a really great connection, but he wasn't the super sensitive guy. They would get angry at each other and yell at each other in a way that was not terribly uh, productive or becoming. The guy my mom married afterwards, the overcorrection, complete opposite of my dad. Really gentle, really sweet, carry the heavy grocery bag, cook dinner, do the dishes himself. Sweet, gentle, beta kind of guy. So she went from one guy, she found what he didn't have, she found that. She discovered she didn't laugh with him. She didn't respect him. She wasn't that attractive to him, but boy, was he nice and gentle. The person she's with now, right, who happens to be a woman, a whole other story, right, is a combination of her two husbands. Really, it's fascinating. Right? Masculine energy woman, great sense of humor, but nurturing, sensitive. She's a, a, a woman, so she understands my mom better than either of her husbands did. I find this fascinating how we iterate and iterate, and hopefully we learn from our mistakes and we get closer and closer. You could stumble upon it accidentally like my mother did. My mom's 77, never been happier, which is crazy. Or you can learn to do this right, and you don't have to wait until you're in your 70s to get lucky and hope to stumble into love. You can learn from your mistakes. You can make better decisions. That's the entire principle of dating coaching. That's the entire principle of love you. In general, people trade off on the wrong things. We will always make trade-offs on, let me flip that around. We will rarely make trade-offs on height. Sorry, Evan. I want a man who's over 5'10". What could I say? That's what I'm attracted to. Weight. I work on my body. I don't want a guy with a tire in his middle. Education. Sorry, but I have a master's degree. I can't take a guy who's, who's, who hasn't gone through that process and can't keep up with my conversation. Of course, the assumption is that, that men who don't have master's degrees can't keep up in conversation, which is not true. But height, weight, age, education, income, religion, politics, common interests. We won't compromise on those, even though most of those have nothing to do with how a man treats you or how you feel in the relationship. But we will, you will, you have compromised on five C's, character, kindness, consistency, communication, commitment connection will add a six. You compromise on those in every relationship you've ever had. You compromise on more than one of them. Low character, lying, cheating guys, guys who got really angry and exploded on you, gave you the silent treatment, threatened to leave you, put you down. Compromise on that. So we really have to dial in on the trade-offs that you're willing to make and the trade-offs you're not willing to make. If you were to trade off on a guy who's 5'8 versus a 5'9, your life wouldn't change. Trade off on a guy who never wants to get married, and you do, you're going to be miserable. So it's really important to weigh these things properly. Otherwise, you're never going to reach your destination. The things I'm asking you to compromise on are things that are mostly cosmetic. They're mostly resume things. These are things that you find attractive, but they're not important. Important is ultimately how the relationship goes, how he shows up for you. Those are the things you can't compromise on. I often refer to my marriage, not to be self-aggrandizing and narcissistic or however you choose to read me. But because after 300 dates, I learned a lot. After years of coaching, I learned a lot. And I try to share what I learned with you, right? The reality of it, not the fantasy of it. 
I never pretend that I'm perfect or that my wife's perfect. It's a huge part of what I talk about. So one of the things that I really like about my wife that I really would encourage you to look for in men is someone with the absence of big problems. That's why I say no long distance, no recently divorced, no addiction issues, no major financial issues. We really want to avoid those problems. My wife is the opposite. We joke in our family. If you people like people who are edgy, I want the nice guy with edge. My wife is considered round. We joke about that. She's edgeless. She's a perfect circle. She's got middle of the road. She likes friends reruns. She likes Dave Matthews band. <laughs> she likes popcorn with M&Ms in it, McDonald's. <laughs> she is genuinely in the best possible way, simple to the point where she can get along with everybody. She likes everything. She's not constantly in the negative complaining about everything that's wrong with the world. Everybody who meets my wife likes my wife. I can't say that about myself. <laughs> so that to me is really interesting. I always try to date these hip, edgy women, people who could read, give me books to read, introduce me to cool new music, push me to learn photography or run triathlons. Again, I didn't do either of these things, but the point is I love people with those active minds who, who aim for greatness. And then I realized that every single one of them was constantly trying to change me, constantly criticizing me, telling me what I was doing wrong, how I wasn't good enough, how I was failing. And it was exhausting to be with them. So I found someone who is not edgy at all. She's happy. <laughs> And she makes me happy. And it doesn't matter how we are on paper. Together, we are a 10 plus plus couple. And that is what you're looking for in life. It's not how it looks to others. It's how it feels internally. So there is a study. I cited at the end of Love You, but I'll, I'll share the, the overview with you right now about the qualities that make for the best partners. So again, I, if you were taking notes on this podcast, pay attention to what you compromise on. Don't compromise on the five C's, compromise on other things and look for these qualities in a partner if you have the capacity to. Number one, agreeable. Number two, a lack of neurosis. Number three, a lack of novelty, novelty seeking. I will explain. Agreeable means flexible, easygoing, willing to compromise, wants to please you. Hasn't everybody dated some really bright, successful man who is the boss of everything and isn't agreeable and doesn't say yes, dear, yes, dear, and doesn't endeavor to please you? All he wants to do is to please himself and have you go along with his plan. So finding men who are agreeable, really important. Hard to be happy for the rest of your life if you don't have an agreeable man. Someone who's fundamentally disagreeable, going to be challenging. Next, lack of neurosis. What they mean basically is secure. If you're with someone who's insecure, it's tiring, tiring to constantly prop up his ego, to let him know he's good enough to, uh, you've dated insecure guys before. It is tiring. Insecurity is, is normal, but it's rarely an attractive quality. So finding a guy who's got a baseline, if, if you make more money than he does, he's got to be secure with that. You got to be secure with that. That's really important. And then finally, a lack of novelty seeking. Lack of novelty seeking for our purposes is a guy who's content with you, not the guy who's looking for the next best thing, not the guy who's thinking maybe I could do better, not the guy who's like, 
wouldn't it be great if we opened up this marriage? A guy who's like, you're good. Let's build on this and do this for the rest of our life. And my guess is that you've chosen men in the past who were not agreeable, who had insecurities, who were jealous, who didn't feel good about their own masculinity, their place in the universe, their job, their self-esteem, and guys who are always looking for the next best thing. These are things you can't trade off on. I hope this message rang loud and clear because if you could take that message and apply it to your real life, you, you can turn your love life around today by avoiding these very, very predictable mistakes and making smart trade-offs that you can live with for the rest of your life. My happy clients, right, are not resume seekers. They are looking for a man who makes them feel safe, heard, and understood. And when they talk about their relationships, they don't lead with, if you look at the testimonials on my website, and if you click on evanmarkatz.com and you go to love you love stories, and you read, Nobody says, my husband is a uh, attorney. My husband is a guy who runs a venture capital firm. My husband works on Wall Street. None of them talk about that. All they talk about is, I'm with the guy who makes me his top priority. I never doubt where I stand. If we have conflict, we resolve it quickly. I feel like I can relax and let down my guard and be myself. That is what I want for you if you don't have that. Please subscribe to my love splaining substack, evanmarkcats.com forward slash substack, right? And I'll send you free dating and relationship advice in your inbox multiple times a week. You could even get coaching, get your questions answered there. You could send me screenshots of weird guys and their weird texts for me to comment on and interpret. There's a lot of value to being part of my love splaining substack. My name is Evan Marcatz. Thanks for tuning into the Love You podcast. For more episodes like this on YouTube, click the subscribe button, ring the bell, and choose all to get notified when new content comes out. If you're on Apple or Spotify, please leave a written review, which helps to amplify this podcast to other high-achieving women who are ready for love. And if you want a man who makes you feel safe, heard, and understood, go to www.evanmarcatz.com forward slash apply and watch my free video about how you could fix your broken man picker. When you're done, apply to Love You to join other women in the coaching community where you'll gain confidence, raise your standards for what you expect from men, and get the relationship you deserve. I'll see you there.